An excerpt from David White's Consolations, Pain, from pages 116 to 119. Pain is the doorway to the here and now. Physical or emotional pain is an ultimate form of ground, saying to each of us in effect, there is no other place than this place, no other body than this body. No other limb or joint or pang or sharpness or heartbreak, but this searing presence refusing to go away. Pain asks us to heal by focusing not only on the place the pain is felt, but also the actual way the pain is felt. It asks us to not only focus on the place the pain is felt, but also the actual way the pain is felt. Pain is a form of alertness and particularity. Pain is a way in. Pain is a way in. Through the radical undoing and debilitation of repeated pain, we are reacquainted with the essentialities of place and time and existence itself. In deep pain, we have energy only for what we can do wholeheartedly, and then only within a narrow range of motion, metaphorically or physically, from tying our shoelace to holding the essential core conversations that are reciprocal and reinforcing within the closed-in circle of those we love. Pain teaches us a fine economy in movement, in the heart's affections, in what we ask of ourselves, and eventually in what we ask in others. Pain is a lonely road. No one can know the measure of our particular agonies, but through pain, we have the possibility, just the possibility of coming to know others as we have with so much difficulty and through so much suffering come to know ourselves. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift. We are reimagining pain today and we are having a, a remarkable conversation with Rhonda Barney. Rhonda is a licensed clinical social worker, a registered dietitian, and she's the author of the forthcoming book being released March 22nd, Dear Susan. Letters of Comfort, Hope, and Peace for Women Facing a Life-Changing Illness. Rhonda has battled through her own arduous health journey, but today she's going to be offering us a way to reimagine our pain. Her series of heartfelt letters in Dear Susan uniquely provide tangible pathways, and you know, that is what we are about here in this community. We want tangible pathways for processing the feelings and fears accompanying a life-altering illness. And I, I just know that even if we're not facing a life-threatening or debilitating physical illness, I know that many of us here in this community we understand despair. We understand pain. So I know that Rhonda's words are going to be 
so helpful. Rhonda offers three journaling directives in her work. Do you feel invisible? Hmm. You're not a burden. And let me tell you my greatest fear. In 2018, she started a draft in her own journaling space in her heart work. And that series of letters were addressed to just a friend she called Susan. Oh, but a few years later, she actually was introduced to a real life Susan suffering from terminal cancer. And I like to say, wow, what a prophetic unfolding that must have been in Rhonda's life. Well, let's get, let's get to this conversation. Let's meet Rhonda. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heartlifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Rhonda, we are so happy to have you here in this community. I have no doubt that you are a exemplary heartlifter, and we want to heartlift you today but we are also hoping that you will heart lift us. And as I just said before, we pressed record. I know that there's not, sadly, probably not one of us in our lives that does not have someone facing an illness uh, or a debilitating illness. And we've all faced them probably and faced hardship in our life. So I translated your work on so many levels. You know, it, it's a message for our global pandemic, our collective trauma, our collective pain. And so welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being here. It's just a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. It's a privilege. And um, thank you so much for letting Mm -hmm. me share this time with you and your audience. I'm so excited. Your book is not yet released. As I said in our intro, uh, March 22nd is the release date. And I'm aiming to get this out for next week because I would love to have it to our audience when your book comes into the world because I know how important a book launch day is. Yes. And so I do not yet have my little hands on it, nor do I have my Kindle hands on it, which is so frustrating, but you do. So (laughs) you're going to read some excerpts for us today. And I just would love to to start and ask if you would be so kind. You do not have to say yes. That's definitely, you have that um, as we're trying to develop in this community, personal agency to um, say no. But would you be willing to give us a little peek inside perhaps that day in your life when you received your own debilitating health diagnosis? Absolutely. Um, You know, for me, I had always been incredibly healthy. Um, I had Mm -hmm. always been able to push the edge, you know, push, Mm -hmm. push my health, push, um, push past, you know, just another cup of coffee or whatever, and just keep going, you know, and, and in many ways, I think I prided myself in that yes. not realizing the damage that I could, that I was doing, but, mm-hmm. um, my diagnosis, my initial diagnosis, I've had several, but the one that really just made me come to grips with my own mortality and fragility, mm-hmm. um, 
literally happened um, just weeks after my first child was born. And I had waited, I'd gotten married at the age of 33 and had my first child at the age of 34 and had always wondered, you know, will I, will I ever be, you know, will I have this baby? Will I have this marriage? Will I have this family? And um, I was watching these dreams come true. And um, we had literally, um, taken out a life insurance policy after my, my son was born and my premiums came back just incredibly much higher than my husband's premium for the, for the policies. And so I ordered being a clinician, I ordered my blood work to find out what in the world. So basically that I could contest it. Oh, how smart. And when I looked at my blood work, I realized some things were really wrong. And so Hmm. Um, long story short, I was diagnosed with something that could potentially be fatal if it wasn't treated. And I, and there was only like with the research that I was doing with at the time, it was like a 50, 50 shot, whether or not the treatments would work. And so, um, I remember holding that baby and Mm. wondering, Mm. um, like all my dreams just seemed to to dissipate, you know, am I going to yeah. raise him? Am I going to be the, his mother? Am I going to see him grow into adulthood? Am I going to be the one that, you know, will he know, like just all those questions, all that, of the million, yes. Million of questions for sure. Yeah. The sinking feeling, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I found myself literally crying on my bedroom floor, just begging, mm-hmm. you know, begging yeah. for healing, begging for, mm-hmm. um, answers. And, and thankfully they did come. I mean, it took the treatments. Um, it was a few years later that, um, we found out that the Mm. treatment worked and I was, Mm. you know, clear, everything was great. Um, in the meantime, I'd also been able to have a little girl and so family of four. And, um, I was just absolutely thrilled that, you know, it felt like that was just a chapter I could close and I could just Mm -hmm. go on with my idyllic life is what, you know, let's get back to normal as we're hearing everyone say, let's let's just get back to normal because of course, you know, what the heck is normal? What is normal? (laughs) Right. But we so desperately want a normal, don't Don't we? we? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. A normal that we can predict or that we can feel like we can control. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I felt like I was going to get stronger and stronger and that I would regain this normal. And I actually, my body got weaker and weaker over time. And I found myself bedridden and in a situation that doctors weren't even sure sure exactly what was happening. And so it it was, I was like this mystery patient that Mm -hmm. what, what is going on? And so, um, and Mm. it took many, 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 many years to unravel the layers of health issues. And, um, and during that time, my life changed dramatically, um, Mm. on many levels. And, Mm even though I was a therapist mm-hmm, yes. helping others, and a dietitian. Yeah. Yes. And a dietitian. Um, I found myself in a position of honestly not being prepared for the emotional and spiritual impact that 
that journey had on me, it mm-hmm. literally turned me inside out. I just, mm-hmm. I could no longer show up in the world as a wife and a mother and a clinician and an aunt right. and a daughter, all the, you know, a friend, the sure. ways that I'd always Neighbor. walked. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's very and isolating. So, I would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I felt very alone, mm-hmm. very isolated. I, you know, and I didn't even understood what I felt. And so it was hard to explain right. Yes. to others sometimes. Um, and mm-hmm. so that brought isolation because mm-hmm. I felt like I was in my own prison of pain. At yes. And, and as much, and this is even in one of the letters, but as, as much as I wanted to people to understand, I also, you know, I, no one, I knew no one could step into my skin and feel exactly what I was feeling. Right. And nor would I want them to, you know, there's nobody that I would want to inflict that pain on. And so often I found myself minimizing or Mm. ignoring or, you know, some of our repressing in a Mm -hmm. sense, repressing your own, uh, because it's, to me, it's uh, trauma. It's traumatizing. It's so big. Yes. And quite honestly, we both know that um, we do not know how to handle that as people. And so one of my, my strong initiatives here is to equip and empower people with words and communication skills uh, with which they can stand in the presence of someone where they are literally speechless and don't know what to say. And scripture is very clear in those moments, just weep with those who weep. Right. And, you know, I, that's just all you can offer. Sometimes I know myself and people are well-meaning. And they mm-hmm. want to say, you know, I want to say the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, but your situation sounds like one of those serious mysteries in life. Um, I've had several friends that, you know, you just go, what on earth is this? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, um, because we want to comprehend. I would think not only do you want to, but the people around you. Yes. You know, grapple with the mystery. Yes. You know, what do we do when something is so mysterious, even a prognosis or a diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Is that a safe statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think for me, um, there were a few things with that. First, I felt shame because there wasn't, it was a long time that we Mm -hmm. didn't, we didn't have them. And, um, and then for me, even when I did get the diagnosis, some of the treatments weren't working. And so my body, there was this sense of, you know, because when I, with that, when I did find the diagnosis, I remember like celebrating, like, okay, if yes. I know what's wrong, I can fix it. Yes. You know, like We long for that. We want the tangible, don't we? We want to be able to name it. We want to say, I have this, I have that, I have this. But there are just those times where that is not the case. How did you, we, we say in our community here, shift shame to grace. So shift that shaming language to gracing language. Did you find something helpful there? Yes. In fact, there's a letter in here about that where I, oh. um, and it's called The Body is for You. And Would you read that for us? Would you mind? Okay. Not to put you on the spot, but I'd be happy to. Let me flip to it. Um, Let's see. I think that would be so powerfully helpful. Okay. I literally cannot wait till this downloads on March 22nd. (laughs) (laughs) I looked again today. Is it going to come early? No. (laughs) 
Um, okay. Here it is. It's called Your Body is for You. Um, <sighs> dear Susan, you may be feeling as though your body has let you down. It's not responding the way you had hoped. It isn't healing fast enough or not at all. There are days when it seems your healing road will never end. Oh, dear friend, I hear you. I have felt the sting of discouragement when my body did not heal as I expected. It was a painful blow. As the days of treatment turned into months and years, I was left with a deep sense of shame and embarrassment as I wondered if my body was somehow defective. Why wasn't I healing? I had always enjoyed good health and had taken for granted the miracle of thriving that happened in my body every day. I had expected to complete the treatment protocols and be back in the flow of my normal life. When that wasn't my reality, I was confused, disappointed, angry, and very scared. I'd invested all my energy and resources into healing, and yet I didn't see the fruit of my labors. In my dismay, I felt my body had betrayed me. Over time, my anger softened and my heart began to feel empathy. I realized I had taken advantage of my health and harshly pushed my body as a servant doing my bidding. For the first time, I saw the abuses that it had endured. And as I wept, I also began to hear the cries of my body. Gradually, my heart felt compassion for this earthly vessel that had thanklessly served me. Year after year, it had quietly fought on my behalf in a million ways I did not see or know. It was for me, not against me. No, it wasn't betraying me. My body was desperately trying to protect me and bear the burden of my illness. I grew to see my body as my ally. I embraced it as a cherished and trusted friend worth hearing, loving, and thanking. My healing journey was no longer about making demands or fighting. It was a path of patiently supporting and lovingly caring for myself through all my ups and downs. My dear friend, your body fights for you too. It is designed to look out for you. Yes, it is trying to do the very, very best for you. Love it, thank it, sit with it. Allow the awareness of your body to connect you to it with compassion. Touch your face and hands. Your body is a beautiful masterpiece created in the likeness of God. Even when it hurts, it is not betraying you. Giving your body empathy, patience, and grace. Give your body grace. It fights for you. I know our relationship with our bodies can be complicated. If it has been abused, don't hate it. Don't reject it. It was not the perpetrator. If you abused it in some way, apologize and release regret. Forgive yourself and honor your body as it honors you. Give your body forgiveness for not being perfect, for being mortal, but also delight in its miraculous power and ability to heal. Picture it healed. Speak wholeness over your body. Our thoughts and words are incredibly powerful. Your body prepares and responds as if your thoughts are reality. Caring for your body with loving thoughts and words can be a catalyst for wellness. And even if your body doesn't completely heal, your spirit can abide and rest in a place of compassion, safety, and love. Your body is a gift, uniquely yours. It is working on your behalf. 
give it love, give it grace. Your body is ready to be embraced. With the heart of love for you, Rhonda. Heartlifters, just take a moment and allow those powerful words to just soak into your spirit. Take some time to reflect and write about your relationship with your amazing body. In that letter, Rhonda writes, I grew to see my body as an ally, a cherished and trusted friend worth hearing, loving, thanking. Picture it healed. Speak wholeness. Your body repairs and responds as if your thoughts are reality. Rhonda, you said so many things in there. Oh my goodness. I think the greatest one for me is that your body is your ally and your trusted friend because the body, as Dr. Bessel Vandelkoek says to us, does keep the score. And I love that you spoke to it as a loving friend. And I mean, I didn't anticipate this conversation, but I think, you know, I do a lot of somatic psychological study. Yes. Because my body has continually spoken to me. And when you said that, um, you know, you tried, you didn't say it this way, but you tried to warn me, you tried, you put up with me, mm-hmm. you, you, you fought, you know, it, is that coming from a very high functioning human posture in your life? Or are you just a very high functioning person <laughs> that you like type A-ish? Um, maybe I want comfort here. <laughs> You know, but that's what it sounded like to me. Like if I were to write a letter to my body, I would have said that same exact thing. And I think I'm going to, I think you've challenged me because I just found out I have a torn labrum in my hip. I've been a dancer my whole life. Once again, I'm pushing myself. I'm 62. I think I can do, you know, what I did at 18. Um, I, my body absolutely speaks to me when I broke my back, it said, stop bending over backwards. You know, when my esophagus stopped, it said, stop swallowing all this crap and stop repressing. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying to us? Tell me what that's about. Ooh. Yeah. You know, it was that, that one letter that I, you know, read in Ooh. two minutes, um, was years, years of, um, and so my heart here was just to, just to give somebody a taste, just to sort of lead in a direction that they would go on their own journey. And yes. I know for me, um, I, I had grown up with some trauma and so I was okay. repressing. I wanted to ask you that, but thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. That's my trauma. I'm trauma. That's what I do. So I'm, I'm sitting here like wanting to honor your, your space, honor mm-hmm. your story. But thank you for bringing that to the table because yeah. I definitely have quite a, a, most of my clients and most of the people that come to me are trauma informed yeah. and their body has fought for them. Their body has kept yes. the score. And so they just yeah. cannot link the two. So thank you. Yes. And what, and what I found is that over time, I, I wasn't paying attention to the signals in my body. Okay. I was like, very, yeah, I like. I would, I ignored pain. I, I just ignored being tired. I ignored, Ah. um, I, there were certain, and as I began to rest and heal, 
-hmm. like I would notice things in my body, um, in my rib cage or different places. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I would also, while I was feeling certain emotions, I would feel certain things in my body. And so I began to make the connections that, wow, like, and I, and so there's also a a letter in here on mind body connection, because I started to realize that there there was a connection. And yes, I had physical diagnosis. I had yes. there. I yeah, was, you were, you will I, I have was, them. They will yeah, show I, up as that. Yes. And I had, I was an infectious disease nightmare basically, but so there were like things that, you know, I had a port, I had, there were things that I had to physically attend to. But what I found is that as I, instead of hating my body for letting me down or betraying me, um, realizing that my body was my friend and my ally and that for years it had been fighting things that I had no idea and honoring it, giving it compassion, giving it grace mm-hmm. and allowing myself to feel the things that I needed to feel and noticing where those feelings were even in my body. Oh, and you. um yeah, and just thank you. letting myself cry, letting myself, yes. you know, Yes, just experience certain emotions. And, and, you know, one of the things that I say in the letters too, is you don't have to do it alone. And I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, as a therapist, we know, like, sometimes when people start to feel they need extra support around them. So I I encourage people to seek out a therapist, seek out somebody that can, that can help bring containment and understanding Mm -hmm. and soothing and all the things. So I'm not, you know, this is, this is deep work, but it's, so it is deep possible. work. Yes. It's so possible. And, you know, I had trusted friends around me that, mm-hmm. that were like what you said earlier, they, they just sat with me and let me mm-hmm. grieve and let me they didn't try to they, fix you. They didn't mm-hmm. try to bring mm-hmm. the solution to the table. Right. Which is what I think we so responsibly want to do. It's that's the well-meaning part, mm-hmm. you know, yes. is, Oh my gosh, how can I alleviate your suffering? Especially if you're a more empathic, you know, person. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, I also, on the other hand, it, it did you feel that's one of your directives uh, that you give in your journaling? I, I, I brought them to the table before we began. Do you feel invisible? You are not a burden. Yes. And let me tell you my greatest fears. That second one, I, I would imagine you did. Yes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's actually the very first letter in the book. Okay. Um, because I think it is something that I can't, most people I think are going to relate to. And it was mm-hmm. one of the hardest things for me because here I was a mom of two very small children and a time in my life where, you know, I was the one that was responsible for, you know, my husband and I, you know, in tandem were responsible. Well, the mom is the center of the universe. Yes. <laughs> she you just is. Little kids. They are, yes. they are, they really are. Even two grown up kids. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So true. Yes. And so, um, what happens if mom's down, you know? Oh dear Lord. Yeah. Right? Mom, moms don't get sick days, right? Yeah, so, they don't. Yeah. And, and what I just, I'm just going to throw this in there. One of this isn't necessarily in the book, but one of the things that I learned was not to put that on my children. My- oh, please. Okay. So you're so in the spirit, my friend already, Rhonda. <laughs> um, I wanted to bring this to the table because um, 
without disclosing anything, but let's say children lose their mother. Let's say mom, uh, we're going to focus on moms today, women. Um, let's say mom receives a debilitating diagnosis or illness and the littles are little, um, or maybe they're teens or maybe they're littles Mm -hmm. to 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you navigate that? I would love for you to give your wisdom because I know families in that situation right now. And I know moms who didn't share anything. They tried to just project joy and I'm good and we're going to make it. And they didn't deal with the debilitation or the possibility of the passing (laughs) dying. So do you have, let's share your story. Thank you so much. You're so in the spirit. Um, You know, I, I, there's so many nuances to every Mm -hmm. situation that you just, um, there's no blanket formula. So yeah, it is hard. Um, I can. I can speak into what my experience was. So when I, when I hit my rock bottom, um, my son was six and my daughter was just turning four. And, um, and so, and I was going to, um, out of state to a specialized treatment center for six weeks. And so, um, my daughter, I took her with me and what I did was I arranged like for people to come and stay with her while I had treatment, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I yep. felt like, I felt like she was too young. She's so young. Right. Well, and the thing about your, your, mm-hmm. um, education, Rhonda, is you understand attachment attachment. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. Attachment. I knew that it was just so important. Critical. And so my, my son was six. And so he and I had, um, I, you know, I handled it a little bit different with him. He was in school and I couldn't, mm. you know, like, so, um, yeah, my husband stayed Kept with the him schedule. and then I had right. friends. So he had his, you know, his dad, mm-hmm. his grandparents came and, um, just, you know, we planned a lot of special things for him. I wrote letters that they gave <sighs> him, you know, at bedtime and things like that. So he would know, and we talked on the phone and Beautiful. we just, you know, all those things just to try to keep also him, him knowing Mm -hmm. that mom was there and that mom was thinking of him and, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things. So through it, my daughter, honestly, at the age of just turning four, um, literally because I was going to the treatment center, she had her birthday. She was supposed to have her birthday while I was in treatment. So we told her it was her birthday two weeks before, <laughs> <laughs> yes. party, you know, but anyway, we're just going to have birthdays. Why the heck know. not? She didn't care. Whatever, oh, you know, it's a party. Uh, so, you know, that's actually one of the things I learned that's too. Fantastic. Flexibility. It's yes. flexibility, you know, yes. like you're, you're creating your child's experience yes. and you're just making them feel loved, safe, seen, secure, you know, yes. they belong to a group that loves and celebrates them. Bravo. Yes. Bravo. And that was, that was my primary, you know, is that they felt that their needs were still being met. And I never wanted my children to feel like they had to take care of me. Um, right. So wow, that was, though. yeah, that was one of the things that I, um, and so yeah, there were nuances there of my son understood that I was sick and the way that I tried to explain it in a, in a fashion that the six-year-old could understand. Six-year-old fashion. Yeah. And I just, you know, um, you know, I was like, son, you know, you know how we always run and play at the playground. And I said, right now, mom is having a hard time doing that. And so I am going to go see some 
some doctors that are going to help me get back to the place where I can run with you on the playground again. And um, so that was his. That's lovely. He didn't need to know my diagnosis. He didn't need to know the prognosis, but you didn't put the, the responsibility or any unneeded weight is the way that I love to describe that. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like you, you handled it by giving him just enough to carry in his little body. Yes. That would be an explanation of acknowledging there's something wrong here. And mom is unable to do these things, but, um, we're taking action to to fix that. And it's going to take a little bit of time. And so things are going to have to change for a little while in our house. Yes. But you handled that so tenderly and wisely to me to give him enough to carry, but also invite him in. I think invite him into the journey of having to understand pain and sorrow and life's not all birthday parties. Right. 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 Yes. Just enough. You got to hold joy and sorrow as we, we know, and we have to integrate them. That's what we call eudaimonia, a meaningful life, a life filled with strife and struggle and pain and joy and happiness and all the things. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. That I think that's so helpful. And I wish that I had known how to do that when mine were littles, but we're navigating that now in life when they're in their thirties, you know, what Mm -hmm. we always like to say is when we know better, we do better. Oh, absolutely. You know, so, oh, heartlifter. We just have to take a moment here as we're closing out part one. I know I don't want to divide this into two, but it is very necessary that we do so. This conversation with Rhonda was remarkable and eye-opening and riveting and beautiful and comforting and all the feels. And I'm so grateful that she came into my path and she has come into our community because I think her conversation needs to be heard. And I love that today took a beautiful turn towards looking at our body as our treasured friend, to be cherished to be heard, to be listened to, to not ignore the somatic sensations in our body. I use this beautiful resource by Rebecca Ladine in my practice, the Mind-Body Stress Reset, Somatic Practices to Reduce Overwhelm and Increase Well-Being. And Rebecca writes, stress is not just in our minds. Stress is deeply somatic. That is, it influences us physiologically in ways that can feel beyond our conscious control. Stress creates ingrained somatic habits that become very difficult to change. A kind of automatic response system which influences how we respond to our environment, even how we experience our sense of self. These are all familiar words to us here, aren't they? Somatic might be new to you. That's just the way your body feels inside of itself. But we also know that um, our sense of self is, is everything. It influences absolutely everything. Rebecca continues, this stress response system can become our default system, often creating responses even before we are consciously aware of what's happening. 
Our mind is following along behind our somatic responses, not leading them. I'm going to repeat that. Our mind is following along behind our somatic responses, not leading them. One of the frustrating things about this type of stress system is that we often have quite a lot of cognitive awareness and understanding of it and of the triggers and of the things that trigger it, and yet we can't think our way out of it. We may even know what needs to change, but are at sea about how to accomplish that change. In my experience, the author Rebecca writes, of working with many thousands of people who suffer from varying degrees of stress, true change requires a method that includes the body, our somatic self, rather than trying to override or suppress its responses. This can also be called a stress resilience. So I love and was surprised actually that we entered into this beautiful conversation, but I'm so grateful because I wanted to bring it to the table for sure that our bodies keep the score. And I'm so grateful for Rhonda bringing to our attention this beautiful, beautiful thought that our body, our bodies are for us. They want to help us, but we so often ignore what they're trying to say. So that's your growth point this week. That's your assignment. Maybe go back to that beautiful letter. Listen to it again. Pop your headphones in. Find a quiet moment. Maybe you're on a walk. Stop under a tree. Sit down. Maybe take a moment and just reflect on your body. What is your body trying to tell you? Maybe you need to forgive your body, right? That's what Rhonda encouraged us to do. Or maybe you just need to accept your body. Ah, I'm going to do that. And in the meantime, while you're growing, be sure to visit RhondaBarney.com. And I would love to invite you to send me any questions you might have after listening to this episode to Janelle at JanelleRairdon.com. Rhonda has graciously said she would come back and together she and I will try to answer any and all of your questions. Okay, Heartlifter, remember, always remember to take care of your heart. Take care of it. And today, take care of your body. Until next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.